This is a very welcoming city. That's certainly been my experience. Now, it's not going to be welcoming if you just go to work and then drive home and then go to work and then drive home. You have to get engaged. But if you get engaged, you will have an opportunity to participate. Welcome to Off the Record, a podcast featuring leaders on IBJ Media's Indiana 250 list. I'm Nate Feltman, CEO of IBJ Media, which publishes the Indiana 250, a list of the most influential business people in the state. Today, I'm joined by one of those influential people, Rafael Sanchez. Rafael is co-chair of the Indianapolis 2024 NBA All-Star Game, which happens this weekend, along with many other All-Star related events. Rafael's involvement with this major event, showcasing both the NBA and our city, would have been hard to predict when he was a kid growing up in his hometown of San Juan, Puerto Rico. He graduated from the University of Puerto Rico with a degree in political science, and not long after that, traveled to Indiana with the goal of attending law school. He accomplished that goal, putting himself through school, working as a branch manager for National City Bank in Fort Wayne. He graduated from the Indiana University Maurer School of Law in 2002. Since graduating from law school, Rafael has totally immersed himself in the Indianapolis community, starting as a partner at the law firm Bingham Greenbaum Dahl, then getting into business as Vice President of Business Development and Legal Affairs at Fine Line Printing Group. Rafael left Fine Line to become President and CEO of Indianapolis Power and Light, now AES Indiana, at the age of 41 and having never worked a single day at a utility company. After a brief apprenticeship at IPL, he ably led the utility for two years before joining Old National Bank as President of Private Banking. Now Raphael serves as Executive Vice President, Chief Impact Officer, and Indianapolis Market President for Old National Bank. In addition to his community engagement role with this week's NBA All-Star Weekend, Raphael serves as President of the Local Council of Boy Scouts of America, the Boards of Community Health Network, the Indiana Chamber of Commerce, and as Secretary of the Indiana Championship Fund. He is the immediate past chairman of the Board of United Way of Central Indiana, as well as the Indiana Latino Institute. He's also one of five members of Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb's Ethics Commission. Here's our conversation. Raphael, welcome to the Indiana 250 podcast. Thanks for making time to be here in the midst of a busy lead up to the NBA All-Star Game. Thank you, Nate. I'm not sure how you managed to get on my calendar for this week, but uh, <laughs> we did it. We kudos, managed. Kudos to you. Well, first, Raphael, I want to congratulate you on your big news. You announced just this last week that you're retiring from WRTV6 <laughs> after nearly three decades. What an incredible body of work. Yeah. It, it, what's even more incredible is that, uh, you know, uh, with my public relations degree that I don't have, it's political science, but it's okay. <laughs> I get confused with uh, the other Raphael, who's a great friend all the time. My phone was blowing up on Monday when that news came out. Everybody congratulating me on a good run. I'm like, I'm not done yet. <laughs> so. I was one of those guys congratulating you and Raphael and, our, and I are good friends. So I had to, I had to give him a little bit of of hard times. So uh, I know you guys have done a lot of community work together, actually, and uh, fundraising where you both serve as MC to events and uh, you guys are good friends. Yeah, we uh, we actually served. And aside from like he sees me at any event, he calls me up on stage. It's, it's almost like a, a deterrent for me to go to any public events anymore. But we both served as co-chair for the United Way campaign back in 2016, 17. We had a blast going to different corporate kickoffs and everybody gets a kick out of two Rafael Sanchez's and Indy. Before we talk about this week's NBA All-Star festivities, give us the lowdown on how you ended up in Indiana after growing up in your native Puerto Rico and attending college in Puerto Rico. 
Well, over the course of the next two hours, I'll let you know. Um, no, I'm kidding. But long story short, when I graduated from uh, undergrad in Puerto Rico, one of the goals that I always had was go to law school. And Marisol, my wife, you know, we were dating in undergrad and she had studied abroad at IPFW in Fort Wayne, uh, made relationships here. And then when we were both intending to go to law school, we said, well, let's go together. Let's move to the States. That's what we wanted to do. And so the due diligence back then was, where do we know people? We know people in Fort Wayne. Let's move there. And that was the beginning of me becoming a Hoosierican. A Hoosierican, that's right. And as I mentioned in the intro, you actually did some banking, early banking experience back then. You worked uh, at National City Bank. Is that right? Yeah. So I landed a job at National City Bank, which is now today PNC. And you know, I started out as a teller. And I worked as a teller for about six months, got promoted to assistant manager. Then a few months after that, I got promoted to branch manager. So here I am uh, running a branch at the tender age of like 22, maybe 23. And I blinked and three years of my life had gone by and called a timeout, said, wait a minute, it's not what we came here to do. Came here to go to law school. So then we took the test, got admitted, quit our jobs, moved to Bloomington. You both enrolled at the same time. Yep, that's right. That's awesome. And so you had initial experiences in Fort Wayne in the Hoosier State and then Bloomington. And then, of course, you and your wife, Marisol, decide to stay and make Indiana your home. Were some of those initial experiences part of your decision to stay or what, what, what made you decide, hey, after graduating from Bloomington Law School, the Maurer School of Law, we want to make our profession, our family life be in Indiana? I would say that it, it all just unfolded, you know, before our eyes, you know, when opportunity led to another opportunity, you know, opportunity to start somewhere where we knew people and then the opportunity to go to a really quality law school with in-state tuition because we were residents at the time. And then the opportunity to work at a large law firm in, a, in what for us, you know, big city, Indianapolis was there and we took it. And then the rest is history because then I started to immediately get involved and, and just fell in love with our city. And obviously, three kids later, you know, this is our home. So I kind of, when I think about you, I think of you as a fearless leader. What I mean by that is that, like you just said, you had a good job at a, at a good law firm here in Indianapolis, and you decided to make the jump to business. You decided to jump to uh, fine line printing, and then then eventually you make the jump to IPL. Those are both big leaps. And your kind of makeup, did you always know that you wanted to get into business or how did you decide to go ahead and make the leap? Because those are not without risk when you left a no, big law firm. No, and, and my career obviously has not been a linear path at all, right? It's more like a squiggly line. But I don't know if you've ever done anything. Like I bungee jumped at the age of 20 or 21. Today, I would never do that again, right? We become more risk averse the older we get and uh, definitely took chances. I reflect back on those questions you just asked about switching careers, farming out all your clients as a lawyer, giving them to somebody else. There's no turning back, right? Once you jump, if it doesn't work out, you got to start over. But I think I was just very opportunistic. I'm like, you know what? You only live once. Let's get a go at it. And obviously, uh, as I think back, I think every step that I made, every leap that I took, leap of faith, by the way, was my personal statement to go into law school. That was the title of it. And it was about taking a leap of faith. It was about leaving Puerto Rico, going to where I didn't know anybody to start. And interestingly enough, the Indiana lawyer one time, which is a part of the IBJ now, wasn't back then, interviewed me for a piece. And one of the questions was, and I remember it to this day, it says, if not a lawyer, I would be a, and I had to fill in the blanks. And I said, CEO. So I can't tell you exactly when I thought, you know what, I wanted to be a CEO. But 
I'm sort of fascinated with leadership and doing big things and accomplishing big things, big projects, you know, big community impact. And and so I always felt like there's an itch that I always had to scratch, you know, in terms of uh, having a role where I could really make a difference in, in our community. As you described the leap of faith, I mean, you made a leap of faith when you left Puerto Rico and decided to come to a state. I think I read that you didn't even know how to spell Hoosier way back when, and hopefully, certainly hopefully. didn't know what the heck it meant, right. you know, either. So and most Hoosiers still don't know what it yeah, means. Still, <laughs> yeah, I've heard various versions. Right. So you end up eventually, after a fine line experience, you end up at IPL, and uh, you hadn't been in that business before, and uh, we're coming into that job without utility background. Was that a positive, and, and or was that a challenge? What was that experience like coming into a leadership role, not having been in that uh, sector before? Oh, I can, I can talk about it now as I reflect about that experience, but I served on the IPL advisory board for five years. They knew me. I knew them. The former CEO had left creating that opening. I would remember being approached and said, hey, Raphael, we, we want you to put your name in the hat for the president CEO job. It wasn't a direct recruitment like, hey, if you apply, you're in. It was more like, hey, put your name in the hat. And after a couple of conversations, I I probably suffered through all the imposter syndrome, you know, things that you hear about and talk about. And uh, I decided to, to take a run at it. It was the hardest thing I ever did in my life. I went through five rounds of interviews. I uh, even met with investors that flew in from Canada. They're uh, investors of IPL, now AES. And you're right, Nate. I mean, I, uh, I was an attorney. I practiced law for 14 years. I will tell you that a lot of people don't understand this, but there's a lot of similarities between what I did as a lawyer and what utilities do with rate cases. Rate cases is a trial. And the jury is the utility commission. And you have to file testimony and you file documents and you get experts and the other side, you know, the other folks that the interested parties will file their testimony and you take the stand and you, you know, so there's very, there's a lot of similarities. And so being an attorney helped, but I remember sitting in that conference room first week, a bunch of guys old enough to be my father lining up the boardroom and they're probably looking at me. I just wanted to go to the bathroom and throw up, you know, uh, but I was, uh, again, you know, a little bit of the fake it till you make it. I was drinking through a fire hose, learned the language. I now call myself trilingual, English, Spanish, and utility. few acronyms there. few acronyms and banking is probably quadrangle now because uh, they everybody loves their acronyms. But the people of IPL are, are so special. They're so nice. It was, a, it was a great experience uh, that I will always, always remember. But there's the baptism by fire and jumping into the deep end of the pool. Learn how to be a leader pretty quick, don't you? You got to do it. As everybody knows, you've been incredibly involved in our community. I, I mentioned in the intro, you, you've served on health systems boards, both the Indy and the state chambers of commerce, the Boy Scouts, United Way, many other organizations. Of course, now co-chairing the All-Star Committee uh, that's uh, taking place this week. Your engagement and your commitment to our community is incredibly impressive. What's your philosophy when it comes to community service and how did it evolve as you began to participate in all these different organizations? I'm kind of like a stickler for this, Nate. I, I feel like it's our obligation and I'm kind of unforgiving on that. You know, I expect that of people that work with me, like, you know, we, you know, part of part of the social fabric and I think of, of Indianapolis so what makes it such a special city and why we do what we do and we do it really well is because we're all connected and we work and we all have this philosophy of giving back. I got involved. I, di I didn't know what it meant to be to serve on a board of a nonprofit. There's not the exact same thing in Puerto Rico. That was just not a thing. And then I came here 
And of course, you know, newly minted lawyer and working in a large law firm, Latino, I immediately got approached. I first board I joined was La Plaza and uh, made all my mistakes there and figured out what it meant to serve. And then I, it, you know, one door opened another, opened another, opened another. And I've had just blessed with with all kinds of opportunities. But I just think it's, it's part of who we are. And, you know, I, I tell people all the time, the best way to become a leader is not by authority and by title, because you make me a CEO, people will do what I tell them to do, right? They'll, you know, you make me a CEO, that's easy. But you try telling a group of volunteers that don't owe you anything, right? That you can't tell them, do this, do that, and they just follow, you know, but that they want to follow you. Convincing people that don't otherwise have a reason to follow you to follow you, that's leadership. And that's what you learn serving on a board of a nonprofit, and especially if you become board chair. Your work on behalf of the community is going to be on display this weekend with the All-Star Games and uh, the all the experiences. What's your big takeaway from working on this project, which I know has turned into a lot longer period of time because our All-Star Game was delayed because of COVID? What kind of impact do you think the All-Star Game and the experiences of the next all this weekend uh, starting Thursday, what kind of impact do you think it'll have on our city? And what's your takeaways from your involvement? couple things. A study that was done, I think it was by Temple, maybe University, shows an estimated 125,000 visitors descending upon Indianapolis and maybe about 320 million in economic impact. That's just over like three, four days, right? So, it's huge. It's kind of like the Super Bowl of basketball, right? And, you know, we're no stranger to hosting big events. I just love showcasing our city, Nate. And we do it so well. And this is our first time in recent history. Obviously, we, we did it back in the 80s, but I think we've perfected our craft. And so, to do it now, today, after having all these other events in our, the culture that we have, I think we're going to knock it out of the park. And I think, again, it just opens, creates more opportunities for the future. But a quick story that I want everybody to listen to about how I got started and why am I co-chair for the NBA All-Star Game? Obviously, I have to thank Rick Fusen for asking me and he's a legend in his own right for our city. But when nobody knew who I was, I was on the president's council of the Indiana Sports Corps back when Susan Williams was leading it. And I asked Susan, Susan, how do I, I want to be involved in the Super Bowl. How do I get involved? And she said, we got to talk to this guy named Mark Miles. And I didn't really know who Mark was. I had heard of his name, you know. And so I said, okay, fine pick up the phone. I call over his office. He was at uh, CICP at the time. And I said, you know, Mark, uh, I, I didn't talk to him, talked to his assistant, says, I like to schedule a meeting to talk about, you know, volunteering for the Super Bowl. So they set an appointment, date and time. Don't remember exactly when it was, but I'm thinking it's going to be like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you know, I'll just go over there and talk to him. I go to his office. I leave two and a half hours later. We hit it off. We're talking about everything, litigation, when he was with the ATP, we're talking about all kinds of stuff. That led me to be on several committees with the Super Bowl, you know, media committee, communications, the legacy project as well. There was, I can't even remember them anymore, but I was super involved in the help them planning and execution sort of for the Super Bowl. And that obviously put me on the radar, which led me to the opportunity for being co-chair for the NBA All-Star Game. So, lesson to be learned for all the listeners is that do not wait to be asked. Yeah, that's you know, a really Raise good. your hand, raise your hand, be proactive. Good things happen just because you took initiative. 
I think that holds true for young people, for students uh, who are thinking about careers and anything. It, you know, Indianapolis, as we all know, is incredibly open community. People take meetings and when asked. And uh, even if it's a 15-minute meeting, yours turned into a much bigger opportunity. But uh, taking the initiative, you're right. I mean, I've seen the same thing that you have. Let's take a quick break. This is Off the Record Podcast. Get caught up on the state's top business news every business day with the Inside Indiana Business Radio On Demand podcast. Available now at InsideIndianaBusiness.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Off the Record Podcast. I'm Nate Feltman, CEO of IBJ Media, and I'm talking with Rafael Sanchez, Executive Vice President, Chief Impact Officer, and Indianapolis Market President for Old National Bank. So you grew up in Puerto Rico, as we've talked about, and so you're a Hoosier by choice. And so you have a little different perspective about our stay in Indiana than maybe people who've grown up here their whole lives and haven't lived somewhere else. And we're always trying to learn from our Indiana 250 guests and on this podcast, what one thing or two things would make Indiana a better place to live, a better place to start a business, to be an entrepreneur? What could we do to improve our state from your perspective? When you talk to people outside from Indiana, they think, unfortunately, and this is not me, but they think, unfortunately, of corn, farmland, this whole moniker of Indiana, no place, Hicks versus Nicks, right? When you think about it, you, you think about all the, the rivalries and, and, and how it's translated. That does bother me. I, w- I didn't think it would, but it does bother me because Indiana is so much more than that. But we have sort of like perpetuated sometimes these stereotypes and then the way we portray ourselves. I think we're a much more progressive city. In fact, that a Puerto Rican can move from Puerto Rico to Indianapolis and have the opportunity to do all the things that I've done without having grown up here or went to Center Grove or went to Carmel. Or I think it, it speaks to how we embrace people who didn't live here. Look at our friend Ursal and all he's accomplished and, and he came from Turkey. This is a very welcoming city. That's certainly been my experience. Now, it's not going to be welcoming if you just go to work and then drive home and then go to work and then drive home. You have to get engaged. But if you get engaged, you will have an opportunity to participate. And so I think we need to continue to build on that. The great people that we have in our city, like the Jim Morris's world, the Mark Miles, I mean, you you name it. There's so many folks that have really done so much for our city. Rick Fusen, they're not going to be around forever. And we need to have this new generation of leadership keep instilling that in people. So I think I think it's a little bit of a, it's not the only thing because I think we're business friendly. I think we have to avoid getting into all the social issues that sometimes plague cities and states and much to their peril. Really focus on what we're really good at and really advertise and market ourselves in a, in a different way. The way I think I believe that we truly are, not the way that I think sometimes we've been caught up in this uh, Indian O place, uh, which is far from the truth. So compared to a lot of our guests, you've evolved into a leader at a relatively young age, and you've, you've figured out you know, what you need to do to lead. Who are some of those mentors that have been important to you as you've taken on leadership roles since you've, and maybe they before you got to Indiana, but who, are, who do you look up to as mentors who've helped you become the leader you've become? I never went up to anybody and say, hey, excuse me, w- would you be my mentor? You know, I, I felt like maybe embarrassed, if I should say, to, to even ask that or like, oh, that's not, you know, why'd I have to be so formal? But there's so many people that I admire, some of which I've already mentioned early on in my career, Jim Morris probably at the top of that list and what he's been able to do and accomplish that anybody who knows Jim Morris, anybody who knows anything about Jim Morris know that if he calls and asks you to do something, you're going to say yes. 
you know, this guy is, is it, he, he repels the word no. And I think uh, Mark Miles is another one that I really looked up to. But I have like these mentors that were situational, right? That like, for example, in my law firm, I remember I worked really closely with a, a couple of, of lawyers. Uh, I think they might both be retired at this point, but Brian Welch and Dan Byron, you know, early on and it really cut my teeth. They took the time to explain things to me and took me under their wing. And then when I was at IPL, it's a little bit different because when you're sort of at the top, it's like, that's why you join the YPO groups of the world, right? You have peers, but there's so many friends and contacts in this community that at one point in time, I leaned on for advice. And that's what I love about the city is that there's so many people who can be your mentor. They don't even know that, that you consider them your mentor, but you're learning and picking up from them. But those, those people are some people that really jump out in my, in my head. And I'm sure through all your experiences serving on philanthropic boards and community boards that uh, you picked up little nuggets all along the way from lots of great leaders in this city. Oh, for sure. And I don't fancy myself like a know-it-all when it comes to nonprofits, but I've been around the block, you know, with nonprofits and governance and what are the, the do's and don'ts and what are the best practices. And so with every time that I become a chair of a nonprofit and I feel like there's a gap in something, I try to fix it. Like I always try to leave a legacy. I mean, my job is not just to check the box. I was board chair. Like I always want to do something different and move the organization the way I believe it should move. And sometimes you hurt feelings when you do that because guess what? There's always a person that preceded you. And then maybe you might be undoing some things that they did or doing something different than they did, but it's not personal. It's just that this is my one chance to make the changes that I believe are the right changes. But, you know, you quickly learn that there's always politics with that. And as I've gotten older, I care less about the politics. That happens. Yeah, it does. So you were appointed about four years ago by Governor Eric Holcomb to the State Ethics Commission. All I can say is, what was the Governor Holcomb thinking? I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. And maybe he thought he was appointing the other guy, the other Rafael Sanchez is my only explanation. But recently I was asked if I re-up my appointment and I, I said yes, but I know it's questionable judgment for sure. In all seriousness, though, tell us about that board's purpose and what you've learned as a ethics commissioner. What, what does the ethics commission focus on? It focuses really on ethics cases and questions that come before that body that basically are government employees, right, that have to abide by our, our state ethics rules. For example, somebody's leaving government employment and then going to uh, work for a company that is before that agency, like all the time, right? It could be perceived as a conflict of interest, or especially if that person was had decision-making authority over matters pertaining to, to that employer. And so, obviously... When you're talking about the government, you're talking about using people's money to run the government, we want to abide by all those ethics rules. So there's a lot of requests that come in seeking post-employment waivers and the like, or, and sometimes we have to go in executive session because there's investigations that somebody's, you know, running afoul of the ethics rules and engaging in conduct that would not reflect positively on our state or violates our ethics rules. And so we have to determine whether there's probable cause to bring an action against that individual. So it is not to every citizen in the state, it's really just limited to employees of the state of Indiana. And so we have five commissioners that basically rule and decide on as if we were judges and render opinions that help guide future conduct so people can look at our decisions and abide by the ethics rules. So we're getting ready for All-Star 
weekend. Is there a celebrity that you're most excited to see? Is there some an event that you're most excited about? Is there a secret party? I hear about all these you know interesting parties that uh, are pop up parties or somebody's doing. Is there is there like one thing that you'd say this is going to be cool that you get to participate in? Well, I've been blessed again through, you know, because uh, not blessed because we had COVID, but because we had COVID, we got bumped from 2021 to 2024, thereby increasing the number of times that I got to go to an NBA All-Star game away (laughs) to see what we uh, can do and what we can do better. By far to my, I hope I don't get in trouble by saying this, but by far my favorite night is Saturday night, the All-Star Saturday with the slam dunk contest, three-point contest, skills challenge, et cetera. I just always feel like that night is always like the vibe is great. Not to take away from the NBA All-Star game itself, which is on Sunday, but you know, the players, they know it it doesn't count for anything, right? And so they're not going to play like super hard defense and they're chucking it from half the court, but all the stars are on the court at the same time. So that's kind of cool. There are sanctioned NBA events. So all of these events I'm talking about, the Rising Stars, the Celebrity Game, these are all like official NBA events. And then to your point, there's all these pop-up events that happen that are unsanctioned. Unsanctioned doesn't mean they're illegal. It just means they're not part of the official NBA lineup. We try to understand and capture everything that's out there, but there's just no way. I mean, it is continuous sprawl. So there's all these parties. I heard 50 Cent's going to be somewhere. And the reality is usually the big stars, you don't know that they're coming until somebody spots them because they don't advertise. They don't want everybody to be mobbing, you know, the Conrad outside or some with the JW. So I think it's going to be a really cool experience. If you're, if you live in Indianapolis or Indiana for that matter, you need to come down to downtown Anytime Thursday through Sunday, just feel the vibe. Our footprint, the compact footprint, is just going to make it like you're going to know that there's something big happening in Indianapolis. Unlike some of these other cities I've been to, LA and you know Chicago, too big, too sprawling, just swallows it whole. So I think there's going to be a lot to do for everybody, families and individuals alike. It's exciting. Just as we are speaking, as you're walking in the door today, they're putting up the big all-star sign on the circle here. All the storefronts that some of which are not currently operating or have something going on, they're all being coming to fruition with new events. And so it's going to be, the city is going to be looking incredibly good and it's going to be fun for everybody to visit. So I'm going to put you on the spot and ask, what's next for Rafael Sanchez? Of course, I know you're a senior executive at Old National Bank, but is there is there something now that you've left reporting that you're thinking about getting into <laughs> next? Never say never to anything, right? But I really love Old National Bank. I love the people there. I think we have a great leadership team. I think we have a great corporate culture, and we pride ourselves in being a, a, a true community bank, and, and that's not lip service. A big project that I'm working on helping to launch and, and organize this a minority depository institution, which is a, a black and brown led bank, will soon be materializing, we hope, this year. And that's got me super busy. So I'm trying to keep my eye on the prize and my eye on the prize is to deliver that project, which I think will be a huge legacy for Old National here in Indianapolis, being the Indiana's bank, right, since 1834. But I, the impact it will have on mitigating the wealth gap that exists in this country, I think, is is phenomenal. And so I'm really excited about that. Uh, once that's uh, that's complete and then we take a look to see if we're going to replicate that in other markets, I don't know. I mean, Jim Ryan will have to weigh in on that, of course, and, and make those decisions. But I haven't even stopped to give it a thought about, you know, what's next for me. Uh, I can tell you that, that whatever I do, I will always be looking to have the biggest impact I can ever make. 
And I feel like that's been a, a true, consistent approach that I've had throughout my career. But I do feel like, you know, with, with age, you kind of lose a little bit of the appetite for the hustle of like every day, like when we were young. Oh, come on now. You're not even 50 yet. Yeah. No, I'm 50 this year. I so, know. Well, you're not even yeah, 50 yet. Yeah. Well, no, I'm allowed to say it. I'm rounding <laughs> up. Not that I'm low energy because I don't think I can ever be low energy, but I definitely don't have the energy that I used to have when I remember like back in the 30s and even the 40s, you know, early 40s. So, but impact is, is got to be on the list, right? And that's what I always love to do. Awesome. Well, we've made it, Raphael, to off the record speed round where we, you give me quick oh, answers this to is a series the part of questions. That I and this is, I learned from you. <laughs> okay. So, so I give you credit for introducing the speed round. I know to exactly off where this record, came from. <laughs> and it came from you interviewing our mutual friend, Ursal Lozdemir at Mickey's Camp. So I've incorporated a version into uh, off the record based on my watching you do such a good job of interviewing Ursal. So I'm going to get started. You ready? I'm ready. I think I'm ready. You think you're I'm ready. not sure. Favorite movie? I'm going to say Money Pit. Favorite place to vacation? Puerto Rico, because Europe is too general. Favorite musical artist? You're going to make me pick one? Well, first one that pops into your mind. People are going to laugh at this, but back in the day, it used to be Rick Springfield, man. Jesse's girl all the way, but <laughs> he doesn't play much anymore. So right now, really uh, stuck on Morgan Wallen. What's the first thing you do in the morning? I work out, get up at around 4, 45, 5 a.m. and either go to the gym or work, work out in my house. Title of the last book you read? Well, I'm reading it uh, right now and it's the Homo Deus, which is the second book following Homo Sapiens. But my favorite book is Essentialism. Who wrote that one? I can't remember the name right now. You can put me on the spot, but it's uh, Essentialism and it's the disciplined art of pursuing less. What food can you not live without? Puerto Rican food. How do you spell Hoosier? H-O-O-S-I-E-R. Okay, Come on, good. Man. You do. Okay. First job. Well, if you go first way back, I was a newspaper carrier via car, but over 400 papers a day. And that would require me waking up at 3.34 in the morning to deliver the route. But first official job was at Visa and MasterCard in Puerto Rico as an authorization clerk. Your very first job was the same very first job that I had. I delivered the South Bend Tribune. You delivered, what was the name of the paper you delivered? And what will the, uh, the new day? Michael Jordan, LeBron James, or Tyrese Halliburton? You had me at Michael Jordan, but I would go in this order. Michael Jordan, Tyrese Halliburton, and LeBron. I just hope I don't bump into LeBron now. Uh, <laughs> and this is not going to air before NBA All-Star, right? Airing Thursday, okay. right? Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, okay. LeBron will definitely hear this. Okay, thanks, LeBron. Best advice you ever received? I remember reading this, so it wasn't somebody who said it, but I think it's so true. Uh, I don't know if you might have to beep this out, but it says, careful because the toes that you step on today might be attached to the butt you have to kiss tomorrow. Nice. You cleaned it up for us. Advice for a young person who wants to become a leader? Don't be pigeonholed. I think there's so much transferable skill sets from different jobs. And lawyers don't always have to practice law. And as you know, being one yourself, doctors don't always have to practice medicine. What we learn and, and how we learn to lead, develop, coach people, run businesses, that, that is all transferable. So don't let anyone pigeonhole you into a career path. Good advice. Well, Raphael, really appreciate you joining me on the Indiana 250 podcast. I know our city and our state are better off because you decided to make 
Indiana your home and, and build your career, you and Mar- Marisol and family. So thank you for all you're doing. Enjoy All-Star Weekend. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Nate. Thanks to Rafael Sanchez, Executive Vice President at Old National Bank, for our conversation today. To learn more about other leaders on IBJ Media's Indiana 250 list, go to indiana250.com and look for a page two feature each week in IBJ. We'll be back with a new Indiana 250 off-the-record conversation soon. Mm-hmm.